Hi church, my name is Joel. I've been a member here and a drummer for about three months, and we are going to read Matthew 5, 1 through 5. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Thanks. Morning. So, we're going to be continuing in uh, the Beatitudes. We started this um, actually back in June, so I like to tell people this is kind of my five-month study over the Beatitudes. Um, so, if you have any notes from then, you can bring them back out. But uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 this morning, looking at uh, the meek. So I want to start us off. Back in, uh, in 2009, I actually went to uh, flight school, and I got um, all my licenses all the way up to being a uh, certified flight instructor. Um, now, I just flew kind of single engine and multi-engine kind of prop planes, nothing fancy. Okay, I wasn't flying a jet or anything like that. Um, and I thought that's what I was going to do, and God had other plans, and that's okay. But my, my time in, uh, in flight school was, was a lot of fun. There were a lot of uh, good memories from that. Um, one of the things that, as you're learning as a new pilot, there are things that happen that you're trained and taught that don't really make a lot of sense when you first start. It's very counterintuitive. It doesn't make, um, like all of your senses are screaming, no, that's not what you should be doing, but it is actually what you should be doing. So one of the things that you have to learn how to do, uh, or that we did have to learn how to do, was how to land into a crosswind. And, uh, you know, just for a little context, you know, we, we live kind of south of DFW, and I know you guys will notice there are times there overhead there's a lot of a lot of jets that are coming in. And if you pay close attention, it's actually during the time where it's colder um, because the winds are blowing in from north to south. And so as a pilot, you want to land into a headwind, right? So into the wind as you're coming down the runway. Now, weather being weather, okay, doesn't always cooperate, right? And so what happens is you get, sometimes get a crosswind where it's, it's running kind of perpendicular to the runway, all right? And so they train you to do these things. One of these things is called crabbing. Another one is called side slipping, okay? And so what that means is kind of exactly what it sounds like. You're crabbing in like a crab walks sideways. And so when you're coming in for a landing, you actually point the nose of your airplane into that crosswind, and then you look out your window out of the side or out of this side. And so you're coming in sideways to the runway. Now, in this moment, it's pretty terrifying. You know, as I was first learning to do this, I mean, all, all things considered, if, like, if you're doing this, you feel like you should be running straight at the, at the runway, right? Otherwise, you're going to crash. But you know, what ha uh, there's, your, your airspeed's kind of slowing down. And so you know, if, if you point straight, like the, the wind will actually blow you off course, right? And so that's obviously not what you want. So what you're trained to do is you come in kind of sideways like this. And then at the last moment, you turn your plane. And then you land straight on the runway, okay? Now, it's, again, very counterintuitive. It looks really weird. I mean, if you're watching this from the ground, you'd be like, well, something is clearly wrong up there. This person doesn't know what they're doing. <clears throat> but I want to take that context and look at our passage here in Matthew 5, okay? And I want us to consider this, that just as important as it is as a pilot to know how to land properly in a crosswind like that, it's just as important for us as Christians to understand the Beatitudes are how we navigate life. Okay, and if we, at times it may not make a lot of sense to us, right? And it seems counterintuitive, okay? But Jesus, who's the author of life, right? He's telling us how to live in the kingdom of God, 
All right, and so we, we need to trust him. We need to live under his blessing. And the next thing that Jesus is pointing us to here in the Beatitudes is, is meekness. All right, and so meekness is not just some nice little sayings. It's not just something you put on a coffee cup. It's not something you cross-stitch into a pillow, okay? They are radical, life-altering truths. So Jesus is essentially kind of drawing this line in the sand, and he's saying, this is, this is what it looks like to live in my kingdom, all right? And part of that is about being meek, and it's, it's not what we think it is, right? Um, it's not about being weak. It's not about being soft, okay? It's, not, it's a kind of strength that's harnessed, okay? A type of power that's been tempered with humility. So when you see that Jesus is saying that the meek will inherit the earth, he's not talking about like pushovers taking charge, Okay? He's talking about those who have the strength to be gentle, okay? who have the power to be humble. Okay? And they're the ones who truly understand what it means to possess the earth. Okay? And this upside-down kingdom, um, I mean, we see this, where the last are first, right? And where um, the humble are lifted high, okay? and the meek, they're the ones who really get it. So as we unpack this this morning, I want us to wrestle with a couple of things. How does this idea of meekness fit into our view of power and achievement and success? And are we willing to embrace this sort of upside-down kingdom that Jesus is presenting us? Um, because let me tell you, this is kind of where the rubber meets the road for us in our, in our walk with Jesus. Okay, It's not about grand gestures, but in this kind of quiet strength of, of a meek spirit um, that we find the heart of kind of what it means to really follow him. All right, so... Um, let's put ourselves back in, in kind of Jesus' time here. I want to get some context for where he is and where he's, where he's talking about. Okay, we're living under Roman oppression, right? We're, we're kind of longing for a liberation from this. And then along comes Jesus, right? And they're kind of, the Jews are expecting this kind of warrior and a king, someone who's going to liberate them. It's going to revolt against Rome and kind of reclaim the throne of David, right? But instead, what happens? Jesus comes in and he says, well, blessed are the meek. Okay, not the warriors, not the conquerors, but the meek, right? A little plot twist. So we see in Matthew, Matthew here, where we're in, that he's writing to a Jewish, a Jewish audience, right? So he knows what they're thinking. They're thinking swords and shields, right? And, and Jesus kind of comes in and he says, no, we're talking about meekness, okay? They're expecting a military leader and Jesus is presenting a kingdom that's not of this world. It's like Jesus saying, you've got it all wrong, Okay? This, is, this is not about fighting our way to the top. It's a, it's a different kind of strength. Right? It's one that's kind of rooted in humility. Okay? And it's a different kind of kingdom. And so for them, this was a massive shock. Right? Everything that they thought they knew and, and that they were expecting in a Messiah was instantly turned on its head in this very little phrase here about the meek inheriting the earth. So Jesus is redefining what it means to be blessed, what it meant to be victorious, in church, this is really just as shocking, or it should be just as shocking to us in our culture today. We love the idea of kind of this self-made, self-made person, right? Like that they're powerful, they're successful. Okay, but Jesus, he blesses the meek, the humble, those who are not uh, relying on their own strength, but on God's strength. So it's crucial for us to kind of grasp this context, okay, because it sheds light on just how radical these teachings were from Jesus. It's very countercultural today and in a world that kind of equates success with aggression and power with dominance. Okay, Jesus' words are a call to a different way of life. Um, not one that, that is found in, in conquering others, but embodying humility. 
right? Um, uh, it's, it's found in, in strength, but strength that is gentle. And it was funny, when I was talking with my wife about this, we were, she kept telling me during this that every time I said gentle, she thought about like holding a puppy, right? And, and so we kind of laughed about that because I wasn't, but then we realized, you know, that, that is kind of the picture, right? Like you have power over that puppy. Like you're stronger than that, you're smarter than the puppy, like most, most of us are, right? Some, some puppies are pretty smart, I'm just saying. Um, you know, but you can feed it, you, you give it a home, you, you, know, you have complete power over this puppy, yet how do you choose to approach that? Well, in gentleness, right? That's, that's meekness. You're exercising your power in gentleness, all right? So as we look deeper into this beatitude, um, I want to kind of keep that contrast in mind, okay? That it's not just, Jesus isn't just offering us a new way of life. He's inviting us into a completely different kind of kingdom, okay? And the entry ticket to that is meekness. It's not might. So let's have a real talk here. So we look at some of these, uh, this beatitude, blessed are the meek. I want us to kind of really wrestle with something. So we live in a world, and let's be honest, it's a, a church culture even, where bigger often means better. That's how we see it, right? Um, we look at the darkness in society, we see all the moral chaos, and we think, man, if we just had a bigger ministry or a flashier program or we had kind of this more polished social media presence that we could really turn the tides. Okay, but let's pause and think about that. Because is that really what Jesus is calling us to? Okay, when he says, blessed are the meek. Okay, is he picturing a church that's... Um, just trying to kind of outmuscle the world at its own game? Or is he inviting us into something that's radically different, something that's countercultural? I mean, think about it. The Bible's full of these kind of upside-down um, principles, like David, who was a shepherd boy that becomes king, right? Not by flexing his muscles, but by his humble reliance on God. Or Jesus himself, okay? He didn't come with a thundering army, did he? No, he was born in a manger, okay? And his victory, it doesn't look like conquering legions. It looks like a cross, so, what does that mean for us? All right, are we trying to build God's kingdom with the same tools that the world uses? Or are we, uh, are we more focused on our might than our weakness? Because here's the thing, the gospel kind of flips that script. Okay, it tells us that strength isn't in our numbers, it isn't in our budget, it isn't in our buildings. Okay, our strength, our power, our hope is in the gospel. Okay, it's in the Savior who conquered not by sword, but by sacrifice. So let's challenge ourselves, okay? Let's not just go with kind of the flow of this contemporary Christian thinking, like bigger is always better, okay? Let's ask, are we really living out this radical call to meekness? Are we building our kingdom or are we building his kingdom? All right, so let's, let's continue to kind of wrap our hearts around this kind of profound rhythm that's in the Beatitudes, okay? Because so Jesus isn't just giving us a list here, okay? He's guiding us step by step into the very heartbeat of God, okay? And with each step, it gets a little bit more intense, all right, a bit more revealing, okay? We started our journey months ago looking at that we're poor in spirit, okay? That we're completely bankrupt before God. We have nothing, right? And then we, we moved into the mourning over our sins, the, the feeling um, that uh, the, the weight of our brokenness, right? And now here we are, we're standing in front of meekness, okay? This is the progression, right? It's not random, okay? It's intentional, um, it, it's, it's deliberate, it's, it's a soul-searching trek you know, to the depths of kind of our self-awareness of who we are and then the overwhelming ocean of God's grace. Okay, and the deeper that we go, the more glaring like our flaws become, all right? And, and yet the grandeur of God's mercy grows even more astonishing, all right? So this call to meekness, let's get this straight, it's, it's not about being pushovers or the world's doormats. 
Okay, it's, it's not, it's, it's about recognizing like our own limitations and throwing ourselves on the mercy and the might of God. Okay, it's a stark and humbling truth that we fall short of, of God's kingdom glory on our own. Okay, Paul gets this. He says this clear in Romans, uh, Romans 7. He says, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Right? Like, I think we can relate to that. Like, this is a raw admission. Um, uh, it's a candid confession of the frailty and, and, and our desperate need uh, for God to step in. But here, right here, is where the gospel flips the script, okay? It's in our weakness, in our most vulnerable moments, that God's strength erupts into glory, okay? Do you, do you kind of see that divine paradox that's happening, okay? There's, there's power that's in surrender, right? There's strength in admitting our frailties, okay? It's about laying down our ego, laying down our self, this kind of illusion of self-reliance, okay, of crying out, God, like, I need you. I, I can't do this on my own. So it's time for us as a church to have some soul searching, okay? Are we, we need to ask ourselves, are we trying to kind of live out this life on our own strength? Or are we ready to face our weaknesses? Are we able to look ourselves kind of square in the eye and, and still believe that God can work through us? Because um, that's what meekness is all about, okay? It's not a sign of weakness, no, it's, it's discovering our true strength, like our total, is in our total surrender to God. Okay, it's, it's echoing Paul's words um, with every fiber of our being that I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So this isn't some surface level call to be like nice um, or to be gentle, right? This is a, a radical summons into a life that's deeply rooted in God. Okay, a life that reflects humility and submission to Christ himself. So it's about transformation, all right? It's a seismic shift in our being, okay, where we discover that our true strength, and, and that where's that strength found, right? It's not in our talents, it's not in our achievements, okay, but it's in our complete, unwavering reliance on God. So let's get, kind of get real here for a moment. The first two Beatitudes, okay, they're, they're interesting, okay, and there's, there's a significant change that happens here, okay? We started with... Um, with uh, um, confronting our own uh, brokenness before God, right? The poverty in spirit, okay? And then we, and, and then we move into kind of uh, mourning our sins. And look, those things are challenging enough, right? But uh, what happens here is that we kind of um, shine this kind of harsh light on our flaws, but, and that's kind of, it's easier for us to do, right? It's easier for us to say, like, look, I, I'm a sinner. I look at my flaws. But what about when, the, like, the finger is pointed at us from someone else, okay, that reveals our, our sins and our, and our failures? Okay, that's where it gets more personal, taking on the, the um, words of someone else that sees our sin, okay? It's, it's uncomfortably personable or personal, Okay, so imagine this, I'm, I'm standing up here and I'm saying, look, I'm, I'm broken, I'm a sinner, okay, I'm desperately in need in G, of Jesus, but if someone else was standing up here and started calling out my sins and laying them out there to you guys all very specifically, well, that's a lot harder uh, to deal with, isn't it? Okay, that's, we had this kind of an innate reaction of this kind of bristling that happens within us, right? Because it's, it's easy uh, for us to be a kind of our own worst critic, but when someone else joins that chorus, well, that's a lot harder. Okay, but... Um, this is where the beatitude of meekness starts to kind of cut deep in us, starts to challenge the core of who we are. So how do we react under scrutiny? Like how do we rise up and, or, or do we rise up in defense of ourselves? Do we lash back in anger or do we listen? 
Do we humbly learn? Do we grow from this? Okay, because this right here is the meekness that Jesus is talking about. It's about allowing others to speak into our lives, when, even when it stings, even when like every fiber of us wants to resist it. Okay, that's the journey of meekness, and it's, it's, not, a, it's not a solitary venture. Okay, like it, it's lived out. Meekness is lived out in the messiness of community, where our reactions are essentially acting as a mirror Okay, to reflect the true conditions of our heart um, in front of everyone else. Okay, so are we open to correction, to guidance? Are we moldable in the potter's hand? Okay, or do we resist? Do we stay entrenched in our own kind of self-righteousness? Because look at Christ. Like he embodied this meekness. He was accused, he was mocked, he was misunderstood. And yet how did he respond? Well, he responded um, with with silence sometimes. He, res- he responded with grace. He that kind of baffles the mind. He responded with forgiveness that breaks the chains of hatred. Okay, he lived out this beatitude in its purest form. It says in 1 Peter, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So how do we respond when our flaws are laid bare? Okay, when the criticism and accusations are knocking at our door. Okay, are we quick to raise our shields or are we open to hear, okay, to be transformed in the midst of the pain? Because that's the kind of meekness that reshapes us, okay, that chisels us into more like the image of Christ. Okay, and it's not merely about being aware of ourselves. Okay, it's about humility in the trenches of our relationships. Okay, it's about grace in the heat of conflict. Okay, and that's, that's really the pulsing heart of the gospel that we cling to. So, as we talk about meekness, again, it's not just a concept. Let's look at some of the kind of biblical examples that we see in Scripture of this. I want to look at a few of uh, people in the Old Testament, some in the New Testament. So, first up, we'll look at Abraham. Okay, Abraham was kind of a powerhouse of our faith. His life was marked by meekness, incredible meekness. Okay, he, I don't know if you remember the story of Lot, but there's a, there's a point where, Lot, uh, or, or Abraham lets Lot choose the best, the choices of lands. Okay, now Abraham every, had every right to. He was the one who was kind of called by God. He was the elder. He could have said, no, I'm going to take my claim, but instead he lets Lot choose first. Okay, that's meekness. Okay, that's exercising strength and control. Then there's Moses. Okay, the scripture literally calls Moses the most meek man on the face of the earth in Numbers 12. Okay, but think about that for a second. Okay, Moses was the one who stood up against Pharaoh. Right? He was the one who led the Israelites out of slavery, crossed the Red Sea. He, he you know, uh, herded them through the desert, right? Okay? He got the Ten Commandments. He stood face-to-face with God, okay? and yet he's known for his meekness. He had every opportunity to seize power, to live in Egypt as a king, but he chose to humble himself, to, to align himself with God's people and God's will. And we got David. Right? He was anointed as the king, right? He was, he was anointed by God to be the king, okay? But he doesn't rush to the throne. He doesn't bulldoze his way there, right? And instead, he endures Saul's jealousy. He endures attempts on his life. And then he gets to this moment, I don't know if you remember, in, the, in a cave where, where Saul comes in and David could have taken him out right then and then taken the throne, okay? But he doesn't. He resists. And he, he's patient and he waits on God's timing. Well, that's meekness. Okay, and if we look at the, at the New Testament, we have Mary, right? Talk about meekness. Unwed, pregnant. She knows she's carrying the savor of the world, but imagine the amount of shade that she's getting during that time, okay? People talking about her, all the slander. How does she respond? It's meekness. Okay, then we got Paul, 
Um, I mean, how does how did Paul start? Like he was killing Christians, right? Um, I think he wasn't facing any criticism or any uh, um, you know opposition. Okay, but yet he responds not with anger, not with defensiveness, but with grace and humility. Okay, if you read his letters to the, especially Corinthians, you can see that his his meekness. And then, of course, we have Jesus, right, who's our ultimate example of this. He says in Matthew 11, he says, I'm meek and lowly of heart. Okay, his life, his interactions, his response to persecution and to scorn, it's all a portrait of meekness. Philippians 2 paints a great picture of this. It says this. This is Philippians 2, 6 and 7. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. In the Garden of Gethsemane, right, he faces the cross and he submits fully to the Father's will. Okay, that's not just humility. That's radical, world-changing meekness. So churches, this, these aren't just stories, okay? These are examples for us. They're mirrors reflecting what true meekness looks like, okay? It's about a willingness to put God's will above our own. It's about his timing over our impatience. It's about strength, but strength that's wielded with gentleness, with humility, and with trust in God. So we need to get something straight. Meekness is not a natural quality, okay? It's not about your temperament. It's not your personality type, Okay, it's not just uh, for the naturally gentle person or the naturally easygoing person. Okay, it's a quality that every believer is called to embody regardless of your natural disposition. Okay, look at the examples we just talked about. David and Paul, okay, these were men who were not meek by nature, right? David, he was a warrior. Okay, I don't, there's, a, there's a story where he wants to marry one of Saul's daughters and, and, and uh, Saul says, yes, you can marry my daughter, but you need to bring me 100 foreskins of, of the Philistines. Okay, and David goes and grabs his boys and he goes and gets 200. I'm sure glad that we've changed our kind of uh, marriage customs over the years because this would be very awkward to be doing these years. But here's the thing, like he was a warrior, right? He wasn't, you know, when we think meekness, he wasn't, I mean, that's not a meek thing that we would naturally associate with that. But he was also a poet, wasn't he? Okay, he's a man after God's own heart. Okay, he demonstrated profound meekness. And Paul, I mean, he was a towering intellectual, Okay, he was a, a, a Jew of Jews, he says, right? He was a man of strong character, and yet his letters reveal a deep heart of humility and of meekness. So what this tells us something crucial. It tells us that meekness is a work of the Spirit in us. Okay, it's not about a lack of energy or drive. It's not about niceness or an easygoing attitude. And it's definitely not weakness, and it's definitely not um, a, kind of a spirit of kind of compromise, okay? Meekness is not about avoiding conflict for the sake of peace, okay? If you see someone that's being attacked on the street, you know, you don't just yell out to them like, hey, I'd, I'd help, you know, but, you know, I'm called to be meek, okay? That's not what it's saying, all right? So it is, meekness is about strength, but strength that's under God's control, okay? The, the, the Greek um, word in meek there, the way it's described is, is that of like a, a horse, a wild horse or a war horse that's been tamed, okay, and then it's been bridled and it's given direction and purpose now. Like there's no, it doesn't lose its strength, right? It's just giving kind of purpose and direction, okay? This is the idea here, that it's, it's authority and power, um, but it's serviced in truth. It's serviced in, uh, in the service to others or to the service to God, okay? The meekness in the Bible talks about us being seen as those who stand firm in truth, okay, even to the point of death, right, martyrs, okay, they, they were meek, okay, but they weren't weak, were they? 
Okay, they were strong, they were resolute, yet their strength was channeled through the spirit of humility and the spirit of surrender to God. So we, we don't need to mistake meekness for something that it's not, okay? It's not about being naturally nice, okay? It's not about avoiding disagreements. It's powerful, spirit-produced quality that combines strength and humility, okay? It's authority with gentleness, it's about being so committed to the truth that we're willing to endure hardship, that we're willing to endure opposition or even persecution while we maintain a spirit of grace and love. Okay, that's the meekness that Jesus is calling us to. And it's really, it's one of the noblest qualities that we can aspire to as followers of Christ. But it starts with being honest with ourselves. It's like looking in a mirror and not just seeing the surface, right? We're seeing everything underneath, the good, the bad, the ugly, okay? And in the midst of that revelation, okay, realizing that we're profoundly loved and valued by God, okay? It's about recognizing our spiritual emptiness without Christ, okay, and still standing in awe of his grace. But being meek isn't about losing our voice or becoming like the wallflower in the room, right? Look at Jesus. The guy flipped tables when he needed to, didn't he? But he also washed his disciples' feet, Okay, that's the meekness that we're talking about. It's strength that's under control. It's humility in action. Okay, have you ever met somebody like that? You know, you have the kind of quiet confidence and the strength that they don't need to be, they don't really need to shout to be heard or you kind of walk in a room and for some reason people gravitate towards them even though they're not the one kind of demanding all the attention. And the other thing about this is that meekness isn't about us being hypersensitive about ourselves. Um, about facing like, it's about facing kind of unfair jabs at times. It's about facing criticism and, and not letting that knock you off course. It's having a deep-rooted peace in Christ that allows kind of harsh words to just bounce off you. It's knowing who you are in him so deeply and so completely that you don't need to lash out in defense. And ultimately, church, meekness is about this incredible blend of humility and resilience. Okay? It's seeing Jesus, the man who had every reason to assert his power, and choosing instead a path of surrender and sacrificial love. That's our example, okay? It's not about being the loudest in the room, it's about having character so deeply anchored in God that in our lives and our actions and even in silence sometimes, okay? And that speaks of his love and his grace. All right, so I wanna pivot and look at how, these, how this meekness kind of impacts our, our lives, okay? Meekness isn't just an inward transformation. Okay, it's profound, uh, it profoundly influences how we, how we walk through life, okay? how we handle the ebbs and flows of life. Okay, meekness, when it's lived out, it's this kind of quiet revolution in our, in our, daily, um, in our daily routines. So it's, it's not necessarily grand gestures of kind of public piety, okay? It's found in very small, very consistent choices that we make in the moments that we choose patience over frustration, where we choose understanding over judgment, okay? That's meekness at work. And again, it's not about weakness or passivity, okay? It's, it's the deliberate choice to let God's grace guide our reactions and our decisions. So in the workplace, in our families, Okay, even in very mundane moments, we're out and about in the grocery store, okay? We choose meekness as our guiding principle. It's choosing to listen rather than to dominate the conversations, to offer help without seeking any uh, recognition, okay? It's the, uh, we face challenges with kind of a calm that's anchored in, in faith. But 
But this reality is, is it's not easy. It's not gonna be easy. It goes against our, our natural bent as people. Um, it goes against the culture. Okay? It asks us to lay down our pride, right? It asks us to embrace humility. It asks us to trust in God's ways that they're higher than our own. And in doing so, we find a peace that's not dictated by our circumstances, but rather uh, a resilience that kind of can withstand the storms of life. So it's not something that we do on our own, okay? This isn't some self-help DIY project of kind of character building, right? It's, it's not something that we can manufacture. We can't manufacture meekness, okay? This isn't about human effort. It's about a work of the Holy Spirit, okay? Because listen, the natural person, the untransformed heart can't just wake up one day and decide, hey, I'm gonna be meek today, okay? That's like trying to lift yourself up off the ground with your shoelaces, okay? You can't do that, it's impossible. Okay, genuine humility, the kind where we see ourselves accurately, where we embrace God's viewpoint instead of our own skewed perspectives, okay, that can only be sculpted in us by the Holy Spirit, his power at work within us that chisels us into more of a Christ-likeness. Now, here's something we have to grapple with. If we claim the name of Christ, if we call ourselves his followers, okay, if the, then the Holy Spirit is residing in us. And the truth is, as hard as it might be to hear, that leaves us without any excuse for not walking in meekness. Okay, if we find ourselves struggling to kind of live this out, then it's time for some soul searching. Okay, it's time for some honest to God introspection because the scripture tells us this in 2 Peter. We have been given everything we need in, for life and godliness through the Holy Spirit. Okay, so meekness is not about what we do. Um, it's about what the Spirit is doing in us. Okay, it's a fruit of the Spirit. Okay, it's, it's a clear marker of his transforming work in our lives. So then what is our role in this? Okay, it's about confronting the truths that Jesus lays out in the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, it's about spending time in reflection, looking at Jesus' life and asking the Spirit to make us more like him. Okay, it's not just about trying harder, it's about surrendering more. And we need to dwell on his teaching about this. Okay, look at the biblical examples. And, and most of all, we fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith, right? It's about coming to a place of humility, confessing our shortcomings, our imperfections, and laying down that self, okay, which is really the root of a lot of our troubles. Okay, we're called to surrender, allowing Christ to take full ownership of us, to reshape us. This is our calling, church. This is the journey that we're on, to be shaped, to be molded, to be owned by Christ, to reflect his meekness in every aspect of our lives. So, all right, well, let's land the plane here, all right? Our journey to meekness is radical, okay? This is not some simple task. It's not some just kind of let me change this, let me flip on a switch, and all of a sudden I'm meek today, okay? It's about really seeing our brokenness, okay? Um, our, our need for Jesus and letting the understanding of that transform our interactions with the world around us. It's finding our strength in humility, okay, anchored in God's grace, okay? It's, it's not just some nice idea. It's central. It's core to who we are in Christ, okay, with the character of Jesus that is able to shine through us in that way. So then what's our move? Well, we need to engage deeply into the scriptures, okay, in the words of the Sermon on the Mount to let it challenge us, to let it change us, to look at Jesus himself as the ultimate example of meekness, right? To see his life, to see his humility, to see um, the way he surrendered and use that as our model in our life. So then are we ready to take up this call? And to let the Holy Spirit work in us, to transform us, okay? And, and we should do this as a community. 
Like, we'll encourage one another. Let's work on this together and, and live in a way that's um, marked by radical, countercultural, Jesus-reflecting quality of meekness. All right, let's pray. Well, Father, we, we thank you that we can be confronted with your word. God, that you're gentle with us in this way, that you approached us in, in human form and lived out a life that was perfect on our behalf that we couldn't do. And the song we sang this morning, Great is Your Faithfulness. I think sometimes it's, it's easy to say that, um, but really it reflects the opposite, how great is our unfaithfulness. Lord, it's amazing, and we should be in awe and astounded by your grace and your love and your mercy and your faithfulness to us when we are such rebels and sinners. God, we pray that we would be able to put aside our natural bents and allow the Holy Spirit to work in us in this way of meekness so that we can be a people that go out and live our lives in a way that shows and reflects our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your word and and how it instructs us and changes our lives, God. We ask that we would be um, softened this morning so that we could be transformed uh, by your spirit. Uh, we love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.